Today's guest is someone you will recognize immediately the second you hear his voice. You've heard him in Seinfeld, Family Guy, The Tick, and Rules of Engagement, Patrick Warburton. Listen in as celebrities and amazing people share how they use their influence to change the world. Dive into their stories and discover their passion to keep living a legacy. I am excited. You know, my kids, I think, are the most excited when I told them I was going to be on the call with Patrick today. We were going through the litany of the shows, and it's a fun call to be on. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about everything. Yeah, absolutely. And Your gentlemen are too kind. <laughs> uh, Eric, how many kids do you have? So we have two. We have a 16-year-old yeah. and a 14, almost 15-year-old daughter, son and daughter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and what about you? Well, we got four. We've got four. Neil, you're saying you get six. Yes. Yeah. And so it's interesting because, you know, even for them, I think they're just all rolling with the punches. It's a little scarier for us because in our in our lives, we've never seen anything like this. But we've, we've grown up in a world that we've, we've been also spoiled for so long after, you know, our ancestors and our great grandfathers fought in wars and Spanish flus and all these things. And now with medicine and technology, we've never been scared about anything, really. Not even, not even rockets in Korea. The whole thing seems ridiculous. But then, when there's something that affects everybody, it's it's it becomes a it's a bit scary. But I, you know, I just feel like we, we've all hunkered down here, and I think we all keep repackaging this thing, like saying, you know, there are ways to you know to look at this all. And I I really do think that you know it's going to be in the long run there will be many blessings that come out of this i feel like we live in the best day and age of medicine i believe that we're going to get there a lot quicker with this one i believe that we're going to deal with this one i believe that all those things in life that we've taken for granted like social gatherings and hanging out with at bars and restaurants forever it's never been taken away from us will become you know wonderful again and you know we're gonna we're gonna come out on the other side and i think it'll be sooner than later but i you know it's uh it's just uh an interesting time right now. Absolutely. So, Patrick, there's <laughs> Men in Black too, and Seinfeld, and Family yeah. Guy, Tick, and Rules of Engagement. Joe Dirt too, which I I thought was hilarious. The Joe Dirts, but Family Guy. What's been your favorite role that you've been in, and and why was that? Well, I I do have um, there are different roles that are fa- favorites for other reasons. You know, right. I guess my. Right. Like, um, you know, uh, my favorite role I ever got to play in, say, a half-hour format would still probably be The Tick because it was so um, just uh, out there and creative and fun and, uh, you know, bigger than life. And we got to invent our version, so to say, because uh, in our incarnation, got to, you know, make The Tick and create The Tick uh, how we wanted to. So that was great, I, you know. In in regards to like you know independent film experiences, the Woman Chaser was one of my favorite roles ever because um, I got to dig in somewhere there that uh, and had an opportunity to do something there that I'd never had before. I could say the same thing about like a Civilization of Maxwell Bright, but that was a little bit more raw and and although. Uh, it just didn't, you know, that it just didn't turn out in the end. It didn't look very polished, and that was like shot on pal, pal the time, and it just didn't, it didn't look great. But there's just different roles that all have um, that that are meaningful for other reasons. You know, I did a film called The Dish in Australia with Sam Neill, which was one of the best experiences I've ever had. 
Al Burnett, the NASA exec I played, was a little bit more of a subdued character. But I, you know, I still enjoyed even that doing that, even though he was yeah. kind of laid down. But, but uh, yeah, yeah. And when you kind of look at those experiences, what do you think about makes it the best experience for you? Is it working with the cast? Is it playing that character and developing that whole uh, persona? What do you like most? Well, I, I still think, you know, um, it's the, the satisfaction you get from a job well done at the end of the day that trumps everything. It always does help if you're working with people you like mm-hmm. and everybody's a team player. Like when I did The Woman Chaser, that was guerrilla filmmaking. We had to st- steal all our locations. We had very little to work with. I think the entire budget for that movie might have been half a million dollars. And most of that would have been spent in post and on film stock. And But it wasn't, you know, on locations, procuring locations. And, you know, so we had to make what we could make do with, you know, wardrobe. And uh, we were working super long hours and nobody got paid a dime. But at the end of the day, we made an interesting uh an interesting little movie that's garnered some respect throughout the years and so that was that was that's cool it's cool when you can go into something with very little with nothing really but a script and then a lot of people do a lot of hard work and then you got something that is uh, unique like the woman chaser interesting so another question that came to mind is okay of all the people you've worked with you know who if if you could work with if you could have your pick of who you worked with again or someone you may have never worked with, you know, who would that be? Is it someone just jump out real quick? Well, you know, the retired Daniel Day-Lewis uh, immediately. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny. You never know when you're going to get an opportunity to work with somebody you, you know you haven't worked with. I really enjoyed working with Sam Neill. That was a fantastic experience. You know, the first movies I ever did are unwatchable pieces of garbage that the Canon Film Company made. but. I did get to spend four months working with the great Oliver Reed. And I'll look back and I'll go, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life being 22 years old in South Africa. And I spent four months drinking with the man. Um, I was a kid. I was 22. <laughs> he was 49. But we, we became drinking mates right off the bat. And he, you know, he kind of took me under his arm and decided to um, – just uh, you know, keep keep me as drunk as he could for four months. And uh, although I was sober on set, he wasn't. <laughs> He's still the only watchable thing in these movies. You know, you brought up Joe Dirt too earlier. I, you know, right. And I, I, you know, I love uh, Davey. Uh, Spade is uh, an old yeah. buddy of mine, and I've always been a fan of his. And you know, if uh, Davey gives a call, I, I love to work with him. But when he gave me a call on Joe Dirt too, you know. I wasn't exactly doing cartwheels and I didn't have, uh, I, di- I wasn't feeling so inclined until he said, come on, you get to work with Christopher Walken and he shoots and kills you. And I'm like, well, done. Yeah. I'm there. In that case. Um, in that case. And so, you know, who would have thought that that'd be my first opportunity to work with Walken would be on Jojo too, but it was, so you never know. <laughs> That's right. And there was no cowbell involved. Mm-mm. Okay. So, you know, follow up to that is, did you always want to be an actor where did that come from? Yeah, well, my, my mother was an actress, and uh, she um, she got out professionally when she started having kids, me in particular, the oldest, and then uh, I have three sisters, and we were all born within four years, so uh, oh my, I think wow. my dad my dad knew what he <laughs> yeah. was doing. He, he wanted her out of business. <laughs> he was a doctor. He went out of business, and then he, so he got her pregnant four years in a row, and that was it. 
and so my mother did make a great sacrifice there. She still says she has no regrets, but I, I believe that when you're, if you're an actor, it's in your blood, you know, to give it all up like that. And she gave it up very early. There's a, there is something that it's going to, it's going to get to you a bit, but she was a great mom. So yeah. she, so she, she, she mentor you in a way at your beginning stages of acting? Uh, not so much. They were, they were, they were uh, supportive. They were until I started working, and then they hated everything I ever did because they're deep, real religious people. My father was in the monastery for three months before he became, before he realized that wasn't his calling, and then he went into medicine. And my my mother was brought up by the nuns, so you know, I mean, I've gone through decades right, right. of of hell from right. them for being on Family Guy, which they believe is the ruination of society. And have asked me numerous times. They just wish to God that I would get off that show. I'm like, it's, I go, um, it's really not that that big of a deal, Mom, Dad. It's called satire. It's humor. It's a cartoon. And uh, they, but you know, sometimes I, I think of you know the hardcore religious that gets so wrapped up in stuff that's you know that's such a diversion from from what's really right. important as far as bringing your kids up right, teaching them right and wrong. You know, as opposed to, you know, a raunchy cartoon, which gives everybody a laugh in some perspective. But it's just, um, you know, firsthand experience that my entire life of them just being. They were upset when I did my first episode of Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. When you played the devil. Well, but that wasn't the first episode. The first episode I did of Seinfeld was the one where I stole Jerry's move and used it in a way. Well, at first off, I I couldn't believe that I'd been asked to, to do an episode of Seinfeld. I'm on Seinfeld. It's just a dream come true. And uh, I did get a letter from uh, somebody I'd never met in Orange County letting me know, uh, you don't know who I am, but I can only imagine how disappointed your parents are in the choices wow. that you're making. And uh, I guess he was right because I then got a six-page letter from my father letting me know how disappointed he was. And I'm like, really? But, and th- their concern was that in that episode – you know, the you know the sexual act wasn't regarded to with any sanctity. I was like, well, let me explain adult humor. Well, Dad, this is this is not church. This is just adult humor. But that's how hardcore they were, and that's what I I've had to deal with my whole life. Do you feel bad for me? You know, no, I mean, I understand exactly, and in some ways that we have to look at these things, but then we have to look at the world and what we're dealing with. And and again, you're making a living, and you're not doing something wrong, but yet some people might think, "Hey, I will never watch that." And was that tough, Patrick, to say certain things they will yeah. not watch that you are such a great talent in because they feel it's too dirty? Yeah, but that's you know, and that is fine, and I have no issue with that because that's that's art and entertainment. You know, things aren't for everybody, but it's rough when you you know you know your parents are looking at you and morally judging you and think that you're morally wrong for performing a character or doing something that's satirical or humor. You know, it's like you know, it's like I was out there robbing orphanages or something. I don't know. You know, I'm just just a performer we can't judge our characters and we can't you know and by the way i like funny off-putting humor but i there are you know there there are things you know in family guy that i found offensive but that's the nature of the show show. well and you know i'd been in a discussion once years ago and an actor had, had talked about playing roles and of course you know the family dynamic just like you're talking about right and his was I've got to play that role 
uh, to that character so as to convey it, not because that's who I am as a person, but because that's what the character is and I would be robbing it and it wouldn't have the impact if, if I just tried to have to, you know, I, I don't want to do anything halfway. Right. So if right. that's right, then that's, that's why people love watching you is because, because you do become that character. And a lot of time it's funny, right? I mean, Seinfeld's yeah. funny. Family guys, funny. So what would you say was your, your big break in acting? Like what, what would you say was your catapult? Well, you know, the, <clears throat> the first great opportunity I got was to do that episode of Seinfeld. But before that, and what kind of paved, paved the way to that was, is I was, I was trying to just find my way, you know, in my uh, mid twenties there and, uh, and Hollywood was just, uh, I'd be, you know, um, trying to get a gig. And I found that my best opportunity seemed to be when I would go in and just read for a guest spot for a sitcom. I think oftentimes when, when you go in just to read for, you know, the guy who's fixing the dishwasher, you know, like on a show like Dave's role with Harry Anderson, you know, it's just a, it's just a one-time character and I, they probably don't have their expectations too high, but if you can go in a room and make them laugh and bring some character to it, they're like, you know, this is the guy. And so I would do these things, you know, um, do a guest spot and then get invited back. So mm-hmm. I did, I did an episode of um, a show called uh, anything but love with Richard Lewis and Jamie Lee Curtis. Then I did, I did a guest spot on Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom. And then they had me come back on that. Then I did an episode of um, Dave's world and they decided to make me a series regular on that. And that's when, you know, I did that episode of Seinfeld. One of the frustrating things was, is that then they like, you know, Putty was supposed to be one episode, but they liked the character that uh, uh, brought there and they wanted me to come back. And so over the course of the next two years, I was getting calls from Seinfeld inquiring about availability. And I couldn't because I was on a CBS show, you know, that was on Friday nights. We were 70th in the ratings, and um, it was very frustrating because when you got Seinfeld calling and you can't do it because you're on a family show that's buried on a Friday night, um, that was a little frustrating. But, you know, I did uh, I did enjoy working on Day's World and, and the cast and everybody on the show, and they're still friends to this day. But um, yeah, that was, uh, you know, a frustrating experience. That's where... That's where I got my first opportunities, though, were, were in sitcom. So mm-hmm. specifically, the best thing that was most high profile was obviously Seinfeld. But it was because I had been doing other sitcoms at that point. That guest appearance, and it's, it helps so much of the syndication of Seinfeld, right, for your career moving forward after that. It, you know, it, uh, it does. And, you know, it's something I've been so strongly identified with throughout my career. So it's always, you know, the, the, the things that mean the most to me are whenever I get opportunities to do things and, and you get to reinvent yourself, redefine, redefine yourself because you, you know, you do become very identifiable with certain characters. And I would hazard to say I'll never do anything as high profile as Seinfeld. But that's why I, you know, I loved it. I love doing, you know, indies, jumping in and doing something. That's you know outside of anything I've ever done before. That to me is is the most fun. But you know you you never you don't usually you you know you always look at things as um, I look at them I guess at, at times in roles is um, something you know uh, more you know immediate and uh, then at a certain point if things are all coming together you can't help but think of the potential of a project like well this could 
open some eyes and this could uh this could go somewhere because i think it's very cleverly written it's all on the page it really is because you can take five academy award-winning actors and give them a mediocre script and it'll be a cruddy movie but you can take a bunch of unknown actors with a really good script and make the movie of the year and that that happens all the time you know it really does you know or like i didn't know who any of these people were but what a great movie and uh who would have thunk so you know material and being able to acquire really good material on the page that's that's the rarity um if you're looking for a good you know independent movie script the good ones go you know they get picked up okay so one that came up as we were talking funny enough my son 16 year old son literally watches seinfeld every day he comes home he turns on an episode, he watches one or two, and then he does his homework. So that's his show, and it's it's old. I think he's watched the whole series a couple times now. Yeah. In today's time of you know coronavirus and toilet paper shortages, lots and lots of funny memes online. You know, one stood out that was talking about you know we have an opportunity right now to just really invest in our family as we're home. And you mentioned earlier you know, investing in your family, right? That's, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. So, you know, what ideas or encouragement would you have for folks that are stuck at home right now of just a way that, that they can invest or that you may have done? Well, fortunately, you know, we've got my four kids. They're all, they're all grown now as Talon. He's 27. Lexi's 26. Shane is 21 and Gabriel's 19. And then, and then they got their significant others. So we've, we've had, you know, in uh, hunkering down and in being, uh, you know, socially uh, keeping ourselves isolated, we still have a relatively, you know, large group here. There's, you know, maybe eight or nine of us. Right. And we're all here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, but everybody's always gotten along really well. You know, Lexi and brothers, they've all loved each other and been supportive. And so um, everybody's not going crazy under the roof, which is a good thing. But um, it's just uh, just spending time together, uh, you know, hanging out, playing games, um, you know, or, you know, going out for like a walk in the the neighborhood, getting some air and watching movies. But it is something where, we all normally, everybody normally just goes their own ways and, um, and we just, you know, we sort of just cross paths. And so I think that maybe someday there, there'll be ways that we look back almost fondly at these times when we were all mm-hmm. together, you know, we spent all this time together. I really, I just feel like you, you gotta, gotta look at these things as positively as, as you can, because good always comes out of these things. It's, it's hard. It's hard to see that when it's a, a scary situation or something somewhat out of our control. But I try to keep um, everyone is uh, we'll just have another great day under this roof and bond, bond some more. And but we have hope and medicine today and everything that's going on out there that, you know, ultimately it all comes together because the human effort out there is so grand. It's like. It's unstoppable. It is. Yeah. And when we get something like this, it's like, hey, we, you know, they were already able to identify the the DNA on this thing and break it down. And um, we just, you know, we move faster than we used to. So there are certain timelines. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, 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 you know, I just feel like, you know, it really is about optimism and making the most out of situations like this and just knowing that. Too, it's like it's always darkest when you're going into that tunnel. It's like we just right. went into the tunnel. It's like, hold on, everybody. We see how these things take their course in a relatively short period of time. We we'll start seeing the numbers go down, 
and and everything is going to start getting really positive again. That might be hope, yeah. the hope from that. Yeah, that definitely a very you know uh, progressive aspect and outcome of all this. One final one final comment on the other before we go into the philanthropic is as a parent, especially with a a sixteen year old and and almost fifteen, right? I see that sunset coming where they're almost out of the house. There's yeah. a lot of parents that feel the same way. Your kids are are either out completely or maybe your 19-year-old still around some, but I'm guessing you don't have them all under the same roof consistently. Maybe you do. If so, if there's a secret, I'd love to know it. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, we don't, but we you know nobody's too far. The one who's who's been away for a while has been Shane because uh, he's been in uh, at American in D.C. But right. he's um. It's been great having him home, and uh, it is fun seeing all the kids just wrestling and having fun and how they so much enjoy spending time together because they really are – we're lucky, but they're really more than siblings. You know, They really are a great team and best friends, and so it's been always great to see them like this. But, but uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we really uh, – we, we know that we're not going to have them all together for, <laughs> for long, so – so uh, it's for us. That's why we we kind of see it is that one of the one of the blessings in all of this is that we got everybody together and yeah. And who knows when the rest of these lives because they're all going in the different directions. We'll ever get that again, you know. So right. Creating those opportunities and realizing the blessing that right now, yeah, we could stress out about what we don't know, what what we can't control, what may happen in the future, but what we do have today. Is we're we're surrounded by our family, ninety nine percent of us, and it's like, man, let's make a great memory. Now, yeah. in addition to investing in family, you're really invested in St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Now, you just raised three point six million dollars recently yeah. for them. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's awesome, uh, by the way. I guess my wife and I hosted uh, what might have been the last great gathering of of uh, over a thousand people in this country before uh, before the hammer came down. We are, because we started on Wednesday, March 5th, with people flying out from all over the country. And it essentially went from that Wednesday through that Sunday. By Sunday, as we are having the award ceremony for the, the golf tournament under a tent, and now we probably got, now this, at that point, a lot of people have have gone off, but we still probably have three, 400 people there. You know, we're getting word while we're there handing awards that, you know, the tennis tournament out there in Coachella Valley is getting canceled. Coachella is probably getting canceled. Everything's rolling in. And we're like, I can't believe. I mean, you talk about getting in right under the wire. Now, you know, there's a, you know, the blessing, the curse of that is, is that, you know, we all go home. And then my wife and I, while we were sort of like in a self-quarantine and have been since the event, which is a week and a half ago, just feel like we're waiting for the ball to drop. It's like, well, if this is what's going on right now, how is it that, you know, we weren't exposed? We literally had face to face with over a thousand people over the course of four days. That's not hyperbole. That's exactly what the case is. But I do remember that on Wednesday night, which was, uh, or Thursday, which should have been the sixth of Thursday, at our songwriters' night, I had, you know, I, I looked at it about four, five hundred people, and just said, "Hey, I'm not shaking anybody's hands, and it's not. I'm not. You're gonna get the elbow or the fist bump, not the warmest, <laughs> you know. But, but please trust me. I, I think we have to do what we can to mitigate. But, and keep in mind, this is only like, you know, a uh, couple of weekends ago. 
It's crazy to think about that. Yeah, every golf group that came through, because we all do the team pictures on a whole, I get like 30 groups of five people, you know, every seven minutes or so. Half the guys are still locking up to shake hands. And I'm putting my fist bump out. And most of them are like, oh, that's right, we're doing this. And a couple of them would be like, oh, we're doing that, huh? And then I go, yeah, of course we're doing that. Let me explain. Let me ask you a question. Do you want me to shake a thousand hands all day long? Shake your hand, and then you're going to go over there and eat a slider or a piece of pizza? You don't want that, do you? And they're like, yeah, you know. But it's it's um, it's having to turn around older guys because you got you imagine all these guys. Everybody's between the age of like fifty and seventy five, and they've been shaking right. hands their whole life. Like this is not being a germaphobe. This is just common sense. Listen to doctors, and it's really not a sanitary habit. So you don't want to shake my hand, and you don't want to touch your face. But I know we're talking about f- philanthropy, but it was a it was a big combination between <laughs> philanthropy and us just getting under the wire this year. Yeah. We couldn't believe that we raised three point six million dollars, which was a million dollars better than our record of two point six. But we have raised over fifteen million dollars now for St. Jude uh, Children's Research Hospital, and it is for maybe five years now uh, the number one tournament event in the nation for St. Jude. So it's been great. I've, we're very proud of it, but I. It's not, uh, I'm personally not responsible for the um, success of this event, uh, such a small part. We have a great board, and I got this gentleman, Clark Rainey, who I knew to be the chairman. And uh, so the best thing and the smartest thing I did was get somebody uh, to uh, run the show and turn it into the success that it is. And I got to give it all up to uh, Clark, who was the, he was the chairman for the Bob Hope out in the desert, and he had his own background with a Memphis in memphis growing up and doing some volunteer work at st jude children's research hospital so in the realm of philanthropy i would always suggest it's never to bite off more than you can chew and get the best people around you working around you it's like the president you know it's like you could fill if you could fill up with the great advisors and great people around you and you just listen to everybody then you know, you'll come across better than you are because you're surrounded by experts. I got a board in Clark who they work tirelessly all year long and they've made the war burden what it is. So that's that's an impressive story and to do something yes. like that. You had a lot of pretty interesting celebrities that were at the golf tournament, right? Who else was yeah. there? Well, we get we're a very, very music, you know, oriented. We have a this huge concert on Friday night, which is awesome. There's only a you know a thousand people allowed in the you know in the building, so that's pretty small for a concert where you might have eight or nine rock and roll Hall of Fame artists. I mean, one year we went five hours. The last guy to get on stage was Stephen Stills at one o'clock in the morning. Wow, that's when we were going going a little long, but we've had everybody from you know Kevin Cronin from R.S. Speedwagon, Huey Lewis to Don Felder. We got Tom Johnson from the Doobie Brothers, Alice Cooper, Robbie Krieger from the Doors. You know, we had Michael McDonald, Toby Keith, um, my buddy John Alfonte, the lead singer of uh, Kansas, and Mickey Thomas from Jefferson Airplane. I mean, just everybody rolls through. So you go, you go, we'll have a four-hour concert, and this, there's this amazing band, Six Wire, out of Nashville, and they go on the road with a lot of these guys now, and they're just constantly playing with legends because throughout the first few years, a lot of these guys would get up and then they turn around and go, this band's better than my band. And now a lot of them are playing with the six wire. So a lot of really good people that, that, that helped out in the beginning, you know, and have been there from the start are all sort of reaping the benefits of this. Like six wire, you can't stop them now. They're, they're touring with everybody. They're nonstop. They're not touring right now, but, uh, 
Right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, up until as of recent. <laughs> Absolutely. Patrick, man, I greatly appreciate your time. My final question for you comes back to kind of wrapping up everything we talked about today, right? The philanthropy, especially in times of coronavirus and the economy, and there's just so much uncertainty. And honestly, there's fear and anxiety. But there's something we can all give and we can all make the choice to do, and that's to pay it forward and to give back and be an encouragement. So what would be your word of encouragement to others in today's economy? Hmm. Well, with everybody, I just think, you know, everything, we always see everything turn, turn around. You know, I think we can all be um, instrumental in a piece and make things turn around even quicker than they normally, normally would. But uh, just, you know, just to, I mean, there's, there's no, no time for, you know, for, for panicking. You got to look at the timeline. Everybody, I think at, at times gets wrapped up in the immediacy of something and just says, you know, it's like the sky is falling and we're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. It's like, it's, that's not the case. You know, if you look at what's going on today, we're all doing uh, what we can right now to mitigate something. And we know from experience that that will work. So what everybody has to do is still remember that we're all here together and we're, you know, we're all here together. We got to support each other. And so in the realm of business, commerce, and just humanity, I think we can't, you know, we're, we're somewhat physically and socially isolated, but there are things that we can do in regards to seeing if somebody needs some help. If, uh, you know, you can safely go out and perhaps run an errand, bring some groceries to somebody. I'm not good with actual, you know, <laughs> economy. But, you know, from that standpoint, if everybody just keeps a cool head, I think we're all going to be yeah. just fine. Exactly. And I think the bottom line is just, you know, we can't control everything. But time with family, I mean, that was that was the the takeaway for me. And it yeah. really is a huge takeaway. Like, we've got a great opportunity. Your kids may not be around every day anymore, but they are today. Yeah. So focus on the positive. Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you, my friend. Oh, well, and I, you. So thank you. And really, been great. Take care, guys. See you guys. All right. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another amazing episode of Living a Legacy.